0: Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Well, guys, I'm just excited to to be able to share with you a little bit this morning. And, you know, last week kind of wrapped up with the Q&A, the Babylon series. And as I was thinking about over the last really couple of weeks about you know, really what I, I wanted to share with you, I, you know, I first thought that maybe I would do uh, one of those classic messages around Thanksgiving on gluttony. And then, um, but I realized that if I did that, I'd have to be, I would have to repent for the rest of us. And so I kind of, uh, kind of put that aside. But seriously, the last couple of weeks, I, I really began to think, and I think Thanksgiving does this right. It, it's that season of time where we, where we ask ourselves, you know, and we kind of take inventory and, and we just say, what are we thankful for? Well, you know, like most of you, you know, I, I thought over the last couple of weeks, um, man, I'm just so thankful for my family at home. I, you know, I, I'm thankful for my four adult children for my in-law children, just love them, and, um, and so thankful for my six grandchildren and seven on the way. I didn't know if I've ever told you that I was a grandparent. I probably haven't done that, um, but man, what a blessing, and for my lovely wife. I mean, just a, a lovely woman that loves God, seeks to pursue God and, in her life, man, what a, what a blessing. And then I, you know, I'm just thinking, you know, just how much I'm thankful for Crossgate Church. I really am. I'm thankful for the opportunity to, to be able to be a part of this ministry for many years. But I, one of the things I would say, though, is just I was just thankful for the many ways this church, you know, has been a blessing in my life. Countless ways. And we, you know, and some of us, you know, in this room and in the service before, you know, we walked walk many Many years together and um, but we our family has been so blessed by being a part of this church and so I'm just very thankful just very thankful for Crossgate church I'm going to talk a little bit more about that uh, just in, at, at, at a certain level here in just a moment but then I thought about you know really the thing that i'm I'm most thankful for of all the Lord just always brings me brings me back to march twenty seventh nineteen eighty one that's when that's when I came face to face with the reality that I was a broken sinner. That I was in desperate need of a Savior. And I had those that in my community in that area, in that, at that time, in, in that church, the church that Tula grew up in, that really began to, to love me and nourish me, and, and they began to really speak into my life. and it was, But it was that day when... I crossed the line of faith when I truly recognized and came to this awareness by the Holy Spirit of God that I just desperately needed Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins and to come into my life, to give me direction. And if he had just given me heaven alone you know for eternity, that would have been enough. But I was just so thankful for the Holy Spirit of God that he gave to me, that came into my life. And began to seek to direct me along with his word, along with prayer, along with God's people. To help me to grow more and more. And I still have a long ways to go. And i you know, and that, gosh, that was over 40 years ago. But I'm just so thankful for Jesus Christ and how he changed my life. And guys, I'm going to tell you, he changed my life. He set me on a new road. And I will forever be thankful for that. But in that, as I over the last few weeks, I've really been thinking a lot about how God's people played a role in that. And as I've already mentioned, but but even over the years here, just how specifically men of God, and then of course my wife at times and others, but that have spoken into my life, have been have helped God. And, and, and that's what biblical community is, but it's to help me build those spiritual guardrails in my life that have kept me focused on the pursuit of a relationship with Jesus Christ, a spirit-filled life. You know, if you listen much to any successful business, organization, or sports team, you'll talk a lot about core values. They'll talk a lot about, you know, priorities that they, you know... Um, that they adhere to to help uh, them be successful in what they do. a Matter of fact, there's there's very few companies or sports teams that are successful that don't have a at least a, as short as they may be. They may be just a few a set of values in which they or priorities that they really adhere to. I've noticed a lot lately, and I had over the last few weeks, you know. Like I am a sports fan, and so I, I watch sports uh, from time to time, and so when I do, I always en- list, enjoy listening to some of the interviews that they'll have right after the game and But a lot of times, if you listen and pay attention they'll they 'll ask somebody and they 'll talk about well we we have built a culture of accountability that we allow each other to speak into each other's lives as a as a point of accountability because we know that if we're not careful we could be lazy in this area or this area and so we we truly want to be as successful as we can possibly be and so we allow and we build have built this culture of accountability you know even here at crossgate you know we have our purpose statement you know we Um, you know that we make more and better disciples for Jesus Christ and we have a a, a list of priorities and it's through emphasis on those priorities that we're able to achieve that purpose well even in our staff we have we got together as a staff team and we we built some cultural staff priorities for our team and I think I've got a picture of it here this is uh, off the wall in our in our meeting area upstairs and you know the spiritual climate. You know is right up the top. I mean, obviously everything we do must be based in uh, the Word of God and uh, our spiritual development. And just talks about leadership. We have one on communication. It's so vital. You know, that you have healthy communication to have a healthy organization. To have a you know to have a healthy. When I say organism, an organism, a growing organism of God, you have to have healthy communication. Strategic alignment, excellent efforts. We want to give God. We know we're not going to be perfect, you're right, because we know we're all sinners, but we, and we're going to fall short at times, but we can pursue excellence because God certainly deserves that. Innovation, and then down here, that's not a misspelling, family fun. It's a combination of friends and family. We want to have fun together, and we're learning to do that. We have, we do, we have fun together. And, but we've built these, these, These cultural priorities that we believe that God has given us, these biblical priorities that help us to to grow and to become all that God wants us to be, and even to a place of welcoming accountability into each other's lives in order to be what God has designed us to be. Well, I had you open up to Galatians chapter 6, but I want to give you a a brief, just a brief summation of chapters 1 through 5. Paul has is writing this letter to the church, uh, church and churches in Galatia, where he did some planting, and he's writing this letter in concern because non non Jews who had come to faith in Christ, and then there were there were Jewish uh, folks from Jewish descent that had come to faith in Christ, and what was happening was that those who uh, were from Jewish descent were trying to speak into the Gentiles or the non-Jewish non-Jew, Christians to say that you need to add all of these other things to this gospel of grace by faith in Christ. And so Paul is, 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 is writing this, this letter to really encourage the churches to stand firm and not add anything to the gospel. No no list of rules or things that we have. It it is faith alone in Christ receiving what he did on the cross for us and allowing him to transform our lives. That is is it. And so he writes this letter to encourage them. It's, it's, It's this idea of legalism versus grace. Matter of fact, the book of Galatians was actually known as Martin Luther's favorite book. It's kind of known as the Magna Carta of the Reformation because of that simple truth, that simple but most profound of all truths, and that is salvation is found in Jesus Christ alone. That act of grace, and we receive it by faith. Well, in chapter 5, Paul tells us what what living a life in the Spirit looks like The nature of that Spirit-controlled life, what does it look like to be walking walking by or to be led by or to live by the Spirit of God? I want us to look at at, uh, verse 22 of chapter 5 where God's Word says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The singular form of the word fruit here emphasizes that the qualities are unified. All of those nine qualities are characteristics of one fruit. So instead of thinking about separate fruits or Think about a bunch of grapes connected, yet separate pieces. And it's this fruit, these fruits, these nine fruits that should be developing in us as we walk in faith, as we develop our walk with Christ through biblical community. So again, you know, when, when folks from time to time want to say, well, I don't really need church, just, just, you know, just remember... That Jesus wrote all these, you know, had spoke to and and wrote through these men, Paul mostly, to write these letters to all these churches because there was significance. He founded the church. He knew the importance of gathering together, of biblical community, of transformation happening better in the context of community than being out just kind of wandering out on your own. He understood that. And so... Six is a continuation of the discussion on the Spirit. And it's about how life in the Spirit should lead Christians, you and I, if we've placed our faith and trust in Christ, how we should live out our faith in biblical, com- biblical community with genuine love. And the first fruit that he mentions is love. The sacrificial love. It's the love that Jesus had that led him to the cross to die for your sin and for mine. Matter of fact, he even used this word again in John chapter 13, verse 35, when Jesus left the upper room to go to the garden to pray before he would go to the cross. And he looked at the disciples and said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. The world will know, the culture will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. In chapter 6, Paul grounds this idea by showing us five ways that we can practically show love to one another. Restoration, bearing burdens, each, each other's burdens, sharing, holiness, God, goodness. There's several things, but we're going to focus on one today because I will just have time. And I, I want to focus on this one because, I, but number one, it was, what, it was what God was really speaking to my heart. But it's also one of the hardest things for us to understand and for us to practice. So first I want us to look at the context of restoration. The context of restoration. Guys, Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in any wrongdoing, your, your translation may say sin, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, Watching out for yourselves so you also won't be tempted. Notice the family language here that Paul uses, brothers and sisters. You see, the church, Paul says, is a family with Abba as our Father. And you and I desperately need a spiritual family. Again, that's that's why Christ died. He died for the church. And it is the church that is the hope of the world because it's where life transformation takes place. It's where the gospel is proclaimed. Jesus died for the church. And Paul is saying to us that the church is so vital. Our faith family is so, so important. And you know what, church? There is nothing like a faith family. You know, i One of the things, though, that's obvious is that the, the church is made up of imperfect people, starting with your pastors to your elders to your deacons to your trustees to your life group leaders all the way down to someone walking out the street and attending our service. That's the whole message. We need the gospel. We need Jesus because we're broken. And there's no one that's perfect. And so that means that the family of faith is not perfect. But church, I want to tell you something. There's nothing that's been more important in my life, and Paul is, reaffirms this in so many ways, as the church to help me through the years to stay focused on the things that are most important in my relationship with Jesus Christ. And so even in its imperfection, Paul is saying, that we are in desperate need of a spiritual family, a faith family to care for one another. You know, Tula and I love our kids. I mentioned them earlier. And I, you know, I, when they were growing up, you know, we never, we didn't want to see them make any decisions that potentially could destroy their lives. As parents, you want to protect your children. And at times when they were young, before they became adults, Tula and I had to correct them. That's what families do. That's what faith families do. They love and protect each other by gently speaking truth into each other's lives. To be a part of the family of God is a gift to the grace of God. And our challenge today is to recognize the glory of it and to invest our lives to it. The second thing I want us to to recognize is the need for restoration. The need for restoration. Sometimes those in the family get caught in wrongdoing, it says here in in, in verse 1, or get caught in sin. Because you know, guys, the enemy sets traps. If you walk with God for any length of time, you understand this. Jesus talks about this in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. In the same way that Jesus Christ has a plan for your life to bless you, a plan to use you, to have a purpose for living, to spend eternity for, with him, the enemy has a plan. And every day he wakes up thinking about ways in which he can help come along and try to destroy our lives and destroy our family. And I think oftentimes we don't think about that enough. But I think that's why that what Paul is saying here is that we need that faith family because the enemy is so... Um, deceptive at times and sometimes it's very subtle that can lead then later to something more devastating and we need our faith family we need each other at times to pry open those traps and set us free you see when we see part of the family begin to walk away from the father that should be concerning to us I remember when several years ago, actually over 15 years ago, we, we got a little miniature uh, dachshund. Her name was Bella. And we, matter of fact, just a few weeks ago, we had, to, we had to put her down. And, man, that was just, boy, if you've ever done that and you love pets, man, that just is, that'll that break your heart. But a few years after we got Bella, we, we were at our vet's office, and, and I just made an offhand comment. You know, one of these days we might want to get another a dog and you know for Bella because we have to leave you know Tula and I we're away from the house a lot and you know, have a companion and she said well what would you want and I said we probably we would want another uh, miniature dachshund and she said wait right here and I'm like but what are the odds of that so she comes back with with duchess and she puts little duchess down in front of us and she just runs around for about 30 minutes chasing her tail and barking and we found out later that through the years duchess is just a little special have you ever had a dog like that? Well, shortly after we got her home, we realized that she didn't have quite the the characteristics of our Bella. Bella was very, when she would run out. We have we live in a neighborhood, but it's on the edge, and there's woods all around us. And so she would chase deer. I mean, she would we she would chase deer until you couldn't hear her bark anymore. But she could always find her way home. Well, Duchess didn't have that trait. Matter of fact, we realized that very soon that we came to kind of started to believing that Bella was, was leading her way off so she couldn't find her way home. She wasn't too happy when we brought her home to begin with. But guys, one day, Duchess got out, and, and then we, she didn't come in. And I went out, and I started looking for her. And we, we don't have a fence in, in our backyard, and so I, I got to looking for her. Guys, I, sp- I stayed up all night looking for that dog. Because I knew she was, she was a very nervous doll. She still is to this day. She's very, she shakes a lot. She, you know, she, just, she, was, she had been abused. And so I, you know, I, you know, I have a tender spot in my heart. Man, I'm up all night. I'm trying to you know, walk in the neighborhood. It was, it's, we found this out late in the afternoon. So Tula puts up a little signs. You know, I get a call and at 4 a.m. The, the, the guy sees the sign who's delivering papers in our neighborhood. And he calls me. And I go and I find this dog on a back neighbor's porch in a corner shaking and shivering. And I ran and I picked that dog up and I put a blanket around it and I ran her home and just held her. And I thought to myself, you know, as, as much as I was just so anxiety ridden and just, you know, that this poor dog was out there on its own. I think that's what Paul is saying for us here, you know, that there are times when our family can be fall into a trap of the enemy. And when we see that that should be concerning to us. We should want to run and and do what we can. Now again, we, we're not responsible for the for the response to that, but we but we should do everything that we can to be able to to show love and 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 grace, and we're going to talk about what that looks like here in just a minute. But but to do everything we can from free to free them from that that trap of the enemy. I've heard a lot of people in ministry through the years, you know, or just I've heard a lot of people say just at different times, "Well, it's just you know, it's just not you know when when somebody does that or makes those decisions, that's just not my business." Well, here's here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying if 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 they're part of the family. If, if we're a family, then it is our business because we love each other enough to say, brother or sister, I see this and it's concerning. We're going to talk a little bit about how you approach that, but, but it's because I love you that I would come. David Platt, I love this quote, he says, the church is not just a charitable organization like the Red Cross, the Civic Club, the Rotary, or Kiwanis. Those groups do some great work, but by its nature, the church is something different. We are brothers and sisters adopted into God's family, knit together by the Holy Spirit in a common fellowship. We must seek the spiritual welfare of one another. You see, when, when we are spiritually healthy, it will be a top priority for us to seek appropriate relationships with brothers or sisters in the church where we can get real, where we can be authentic, where we can talk about our temptations, where we can confess, here's how I messed up, here, here's with my sin where uh, where I've sinned in the areas of money or sexuality or anger and I'm not on track and I need help. This is where people will say, here are my values based on Scripture about finances, about prayer, about family, about intimacy, about my marriage? Will you hold me accountable to them? Will you ask me how it's going? The next thing I want us to see is the nature of restoration. The nature of restoration. Paul says, restore such a person. This word restore means to put back in order or to repair it's it's the same word that that's used a doctor uses for setting a fractured bone it's it's putting the bone back together before you would put the cast on it you see when jesus he he gave us steps for restoration in matthew 18 and the goal of the process uh, of the process was positive and constructive as it is here You see, I understand that, and I mentioned earlier because churches are flawed, I understand that folks have walked through a a lot of different things, and church wounds are a part of that. Tula and I completely understand that, and we validate that. But what we can't do is we can't let, well, first of all, if we have unresolved wound or hurt, we need to step into that biblically and seek to resolve that because that only causes us to be bitter and resentful. But we can't allow anything to stop us from pursuing that which Jesus has said to us through His Word that we need to pursue. And that is we need to love each other enough to help one another when we need it. Spiritually and in other ways too. Do not take this as a command to be the righteous police though inspecting every detail of a person's life be sensitive to sins that are destroying people and we see this all the time in our culture not we're not talking about mere issues of conscience. we're not talking about non-essential issues we're talking about issues that we know that people get involved in that are destroying their family for example if a brother or sister is addicted to something you should seek to you should seek to help If someone that you know well in, the, in, the, in your faith family is, is becoming a workaholic and you're seeing how the, the ne- neglecting their family is affecting their marriage and their children, you should come alongside them and seek to help them and figure out a different way. If a brother or sister is becoming involved in a relationship that's shady, that, then gently, gently confront him or her. If a brother or sister or family has missed worship or life group for a month, they should at least receive a call to say, Hey, we miss you, and we're not the same without you. Be a person who cares for your brothers and sisters. And we cannot do this by ignoring brokenness or remaining silent. You see, when the woman caught in adultery was brought to Jesus, the people wanted to stone her. In John chapter 8. But Jesus was not interested in destroying this woman. He was interested in restoring her. And you and I need to be concerned. Concerned for our brother and sister when they're broken. And like Jesus, help lead them to places of restoration as they go and sin no more. So far we've seen that those in God's family should protect and love one another. In Matthew 18, uh, starting in verse 15, we're also told that we're to restore one another. But these passages are foundational for understanding restoration and something that is essential to the health of the church. Now, this can sound legalistic and unloving to many people in our day, but the Bible has a different perspective. Of course, we want to show grace. We want to show each other grace. But this must be a grace that's defined by Scripture. Again, remember, what does the Bible say? I was listening to a, a Paul Tripp podcast uh, several months ago, and I took these notes from this seven or eight-minute podcast, and it was, a re- it was a reminder of me to me of biblical grace. You see, in Scripture, there's no Jesus looking at people's sin and saying it's cool. Because I love you, I mean think about again, I just mentioned the, the the woman caught in adultery. Now again, those people wanted to stone her, but what and Jesus wanted to restore her, but what he did was he he ministered to her, and there was something that that, that happened, and we don't get all of the detail there, but there's something that happened in her life, but notice the end of that because we you know oftentimes we'll we hear the culture will, will, uh, will quote, you know, he who is without sin cast the first stone. But they leave out the end part of that where Jesus ministers to her. So I, you know, He said, look, I'm not like these other guys. I'm not here to stone you. I'm here to restore you. But when I change your life, I've got something better for you. I've got something better for you. So go, don't sin that. Don't do that anymore. I've got something better for you. But Jesus never turns away, even though he he doesn't, Jesus never looked at people's sin and just said, that's okay, because I love you. But, But listen to this. He never turned away from a person, no matter what they had done, who came to him in repentance. Not one time. No matter what they had done, he never turned away anyone who came to him in repentance. And he never does. And he never will. And that's why in that same story in John 8, Jesus looked at her and said, Neither do I condemn you. But I'm calling you up to something better. I I need us to hear this. I need to hear this. Grace never calls wrong right. Grace never calls wrong right. If wrong were right, listen, If wrong were right, there would never be a need need for grace. If wrong were right, there would be no need for grace. And for us, at times, acting like sin is not sin is not giving a person grace. It's not giving a person grace. The cross assaults that. It's not enough to say church that the grace that grace drove Jesus to the cross. That's true. He did it did. But it was also God's anger towards sin that drove Jesus to the cross. You get anger for sin and grace for the sinner colliding at the cross. Grace is a way of moving in on sin, but it doesn't turn its back. It moves toward the sinner, providing for the sinner what the sinner could not provide for himself. That's grace. I'm not showing someone grace when it's obvious that they have fallen in a trap, that they're involved in wrongdoing, they're sinning. I'm not showing that person grace if I don't do anything to help them. What we often call grace in our culture is, has become just a permissive ethic. And I've run into a lot of people that in such a desire not to become legalistic, and I get that. Because if I'm going to err, I, I much err on the, on the grace side than I, I feel like I do than, than, than the legalistic side. But we can't observe our family at times in, you know, in destructive behavior and ignore that. That's not showing grace and love to that person. The next thing I want us to see, and the last thing, is the nature of the restore. The nature of the restore. Paul does not give any steps. Now listen, he doesn't give any steps here for restoration for the person that's receiving that. You know, like Jesus did in Matthew 18. You know, in Matthew 18, he talks about, you know, if you go to this person and, and you know, and this, he gives like four steps for you to take. Well, Paul doesn't do that. What he does is he gives instruction for the restorer, the one who's seeking to go and help and reach out to this person. And this is very, very important. So listen up. The first thing he tells about the restorer is that the restorer should be spiritual. He or she should not be, you know, we should not be on a rescue mission if we're not currently walking in God's Spirit. Now, now let me remind you what Paul taught us in chapter 5. If, you know, again, there is no one, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, there is no one perfect. No one. But if we're going to go to seek to rescue and help someone, we have to be walking with the Lord at that time. See, the culture loves to quote this. The culture loves to quote Matthew 7, 1, where it says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. But they stop reading there. You know They're oblivious to, 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 to verse 5 of chapter 7 that says, first take the log out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Once you take the log out of your eye, then you go take the speck out of your brother's eye. Paul is urging us to see our own hearts first and then step in to act. Notice that there's debris in both eyes and he's ruling out pride. He's saying to us, if we're going to help restore someone, we have to take a posture of humility because, see, Jesus opposed the arrogant and the self-righteous. We see that in James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives grace to the humble. I don't want to be opposed by God. But James says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Second, he says to the restorer, the restorer should be gentle. Gentleness is one of the, the, the fruit that was listed of the nine in chapter 5, verse 22. This idea of humility, again, is is. is a fruit of the Spirit. It's something that's developed in us as we abide. It's a virtue that is developed in us as we abide in Christ. That's mentioned in John chapter 15. He, Jesus makes us gentle. He makes us those characteristics, characteristics and virtues of, of, of Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, as we abide in Him. The third thing that He says to the restorer is that the restorer should be careful. We must always be aware that we ourselves are not immune to going off the rails spiritually. And we must persevere in guarding our lives. You see, you see guys, here's, here's the reality. He is seeking everything he can to remind us to not have some spiritual piety where we look down on other people. You and I still need God's grace every day of our lives, no matter where we are in our walk with Jesus. So he's saying to us that if we need to come alongside each other, we need to speak into each other when we see each other doing things that could be damaging and detrimental and, and are, are just wrong. Yet we must come with this understanding that we are sinners ourselves and come humbly and broken and gentle guys we don't change anybody god's the one who transforms lives it's our responsibility to simply say i'm seeing this but i've examined myself i'm coming i'm just coming out of love i love you and i'm concerned this i come in gentleness and humility paul says One sin we must be aware of in this ministry, in which I'm alluding to here, uh, in in the ministry of restoration is spiritual pride. We cannot exalt ourselves, as I said, over a brother or sister because we think that we're doing better at this Christian thing than they are. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's saying we're humble because we understand that we're sinners and broken too. The only reason that our sin is forgiven is what Jesus has done in the cross. And that's the only thing. And, and, and every day of our lives we go to him and, and we should in thankfulness for what he did for us. That when God looks at us, if we've given our lives to Christ, when, he looks at, when God looks at us, he sees Jesus, not our sin. So we must come in humility. Paul seems to be referring in this instance to the particular sin itself that has overtaken our brother or sister. So he's saying be careful when you enter into a person's world because when you're trying to minister to them because you can be drawn in and be tempted yourself. Now, Paul does not speak to people who are receiving restoration, but, but know that sometimes when we do speak to people, and I was talking to the folks out there, they, they may not want to hear what you have to say. Now, I'll tell you one thing. If you come in pride and self-arrogance and loud and boisterous and mean-spirited, I can assure you they won't listen to you. I can promise you that. But even if you, after examining your own heart, confessing any sin, known sin that you have... When you come humbly before somebody, there's no guarantee of how they will respond. But I tell you one thing, because God's got God, you know, God has to move, and that that, that brother has or sister has to humble themselves. But that's not my response. My responsibility is: Do I love you enough to tell you the truth? And that's the same question here: Do you love me enough? I'm not standing up here like I mean I've got it you know yes I you know there's a there's a I guess some a, a place of, of of spiritual growth that that I need to have uh, you know uh, gotten to in order to be able to stand up here. But if you think you're looking at somebody that doesn't sin, then you don't understand this thing. And Paul is saying to us, we must humble ourselves, walk in humility when we approach people. And again, do you love? Do you love me? Do I love you? Many think that, that they're independent. But if one is a Christian, he is not independent. We are interdependent because we are the family, the body of Christ. The whole body of Christ, church, is affected by one another's brokenness. One of these, I, I like this quote by Steve Maraboli. He says, accountability, and this is for us like We need to ask ourselves, when someone comes to us, this is what I need to ask myself. When someone comes to to me and they say, I I see this and this, and, and I want to point this out, this is what I need to ask myself, is this quote by Steve. He says, accountability feels like an attack when you're not ready to acknowledge that how your behavior is harming others and also harming you. When people through the years have come to me for different things and and have said this was offensive to me or this hurt me and, and and by all you know truth guys you know I've been in ministry for over 30 years. There's been times when I've let people down. There's been times when you know expectations uh, that I could have met were that I didn't. And there have been times when I've misspoken. I and mean, then there's been times when I. I, I should have stepped into a situation and I didn't do it. The, you know, but there have been times when, and, and so, but here's the thing. Even if you feel like it's unfair, you need to, we all need to be humble and, say, and, and pray and say, God, is there some truth that I need to hear here? Because none of us like, see, we, we, all, we all love to be told how good we are. <laughs> Man, I love that. I love it. Oh, Pastor Rob. That was a great, that's a great, back when I was leading worship. Oh, man, what a service. Oh, Pastor Rob, I love that word. It's a great message today. But it's a, lot easy, it's a lot tougher when somebody says, Pastor Rob, when you did this or you didn't do this, or that hurt me or hurt my family. And I've got to look at it and examine that. And then I like this quote by Adrian Rogers as we close it says, It is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood that comforts and then kills. You see, guys, here, here's, here's the kind of wraps this whole thing up. Paul is saying that life transformation happens in biblical community. But we are broken and flawed people. And we, that's why we need each other. And there are going to be times when, when a brother or sister, and that's all of us, might fall into a, a trap. And again, so often they're subtle. And the real question and Paul is saying here to us is, do we love the family enough to go to that person in humility, in gentleness, in brokenness? And take that risk. Do we love each other enough to do that? And so that's what, that's, that's what Paul is saying to us. And I thank God, church. I thank God for the men. That's what goes back to the very beginning of the message. I thank God for men in my life at this church who have been willing to love me enough through the years at times to tell me things that I need to hear from God's word. Not just what I want to hear because that's real love. Jesus, guys, in every aspect of our life, he gives us a better way. And even in something that is hard as this, he gives us a better way. May it be so. We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer@crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.